Let's pray, hey? Um, Almighty God, in this quiet hour, we seek communion with you. From the fret and fever of the day's business, from the world's discordant noises, from the praise and blame of men, and from the confused thoughts and vain imaginations of our own heart, we would now turn aside and seek the quietness of your presence. All day long we have toiled and we have striven, but now in stillness of heart and in the clear light of your eternal plan, may we ponder the pattern that our lives are weaving in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I have always loved music and writing songs and projecting my voice uh, with the interplay of lyrics and melodies over things that I care about. Um, if I could be good at one thing, I would be good at this. Um, it's uh, my passion. It's what I love to do. Um, and it's always existed for me uh, side by side uh, next to my faith. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Um, I became a Christian towards the end of high school, kind of about, about 17, 18. And uh, I started learning the guitar and getting into music and creative stuff uh, as I started going to church and, and kind of exploring what faith meant for me. So music and faith have always existed side by side for me. Anyway, um, about 2007, um, I, hit, I hit a bit of a rough patch in my Christian journey in the sense that I got started to get pretty disillusioned with church. Um, I, uh, you know, became critical of, of worship music, um, of kind of Christian music. I became critical of organized religion. I became critical of the institution. Um, and I just thought that, um, yeah, everything that was wrong, uh, everything that I was feeling that was off was because of, because of that over there, you know, was because of organized Christianity, all that sort of stuff. I mean, now when I look back, really, I think what was just going on for me was that um, I, I don't think I'd, I'd found where I, where I fit at the time. Uh, I felt like I wasn't being used uh, to my fullest potential. Uh, and so I was becoming frustrated, but I couldn't kind of name that at the time. So instead, I just found fault in, in the institution uh, and just got a bit disillusioned. I never stopped going to church, but what I did was I took my gift and my passion, uh, I took it uh, outside of the church and started playing in bands and all these different projects uh, in, in the mainstream kind of music space, kind of trying to make it, right? So I took this thing that had always kind of coexisted for me alongside my faith because I was disillusioned with what was going on here, uh, I went out into another sphere uh, and, and basically I wanted to be a rock star. I was, I was trying to kind of um, trying to make it in, in this band and that band. I spent all this money on recording projects over the years and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and those closest to me would often say to me, Greg, what you're doing with the whole band thing, it's good, but it's not great. Uh, like it's good, we enjoy it, like you're doing, like 
it's, it's good. And obviously the story that I was telling myself was that I was being a, a witness and, and, and a missionary in that environment. But people who were really honest with me would say it's good, but it's not great. When you lead worship, there's just something else that happens. There's something on you when you do that that isn't on you when you're out there kind of playing in pubs and clubs. And um, I uh, started to get really kind of frustrated in uh, my journey in the mainstream space. Uh, uh, it was hard work. I felt like I had to kind of fight for every inch. I felt like I had to push a big, it was like pushing a big wheelbarrow up a hill. Um, it was just high effort, low impact activity for me. Um, it, was, it was hard, it was hard work. Um, things didn't come easy. Um, people weren't naturally drawn into what I was doing. Um, and uh, kind of got to the point where I, was like, God, something isn't right. Something is not right here. It should, shouldn't be this hard, basically. shouldn't be this hard. And I started kind of feeling, sensing in my, in my gut that I needed to just lay it all down again. I needed to surrender all the bands, all the projects, all my hopes and dreams of wanting to, to uh, make a living from music and all that kind of stuff. I had to just kind of lay it down. Um, and basically pull out of everything that I was doing and return uh, to what it means to just be a worshipper again. Um, because that's where it all started for me, was, was, was just being a worshipper. And um, Andy Stanley says, um, sacrificing uh, um, something... Oh, how did I say it? I said it awesome this morning. I said, oh, giving up something now for something better later on is not a sacrifice, it's an investment. Uh, and so that's basically the posture that I took. I thought, I'm going to lay this down. Um, I'm going to invest my attention, my headspace, my time, my energy, my margin into what it means to be a worshipper. And when I did that, um, that's when the right, do the right doors started to open. That's when uh, I got some traction. That's when people started being drawn into what I was doing and, and momentum started building and things started to come a little easier. I mean, it's still high effort, but it's high impact. So uh, the effort matches the, 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 the impact, uh, which, is, um, which is what you want. And so I want to talk to you tonight uh, just briefly around uh, a question that, um, that I asked myself during this Season that came out of some uh, some revelations from the scriptures, and the question helped me kind of find my path, if that makes sense. And so, my hope tonight is that this question helps you find your path. Right? And the question is this: What are you graced for? What are you graced for? Now, there's uh, another question that's very similar, that's kind of like the other side of the coin, and it's this: Where? Are you graced for? What are you graced for? And where are you graced for? What do I mean? What does this phrase kind of graced for mean? Well, we understand grace as uh, uh, kind of God's unmerited favor, the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ uh, gave himself up for us to reconcile us back to him. And he did so in a way, not because we deserved it, not because we did a bunch of things that earned his favor, but he just loved us, right? So it is by grace we have been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast, right? But what I want to talk about tonight is this uh, kind of other aspect or dimension of grace, 
that Paul talks about in his letter to the Corinthian church. Okay, So he starts off here um, in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. And Paul says this, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So Paul's saying, like, I basically, I, I, I labored, I worked harder than, than anyone else there. But it wasn't me, it was the grace of God that was with me, right? So this idea that grace is something that labors on our behalf, okay? So Paul is talking about grace in a way that it labors on his behalf. It, it, it actually empowers and enables his ministry, okay? So what I want you to understand first up tonight is that grace is the willingness of God to labor on your behalf for a specific purpose or assignment, okay? So when I say, what are you graced for? What is the thing, where is the thing that the sphere, the, uh, the contribution where God actually labors on your behalf? Like, remember when I talked about my story and I said, when I was out there doing the band thing, it was just me and my gifts, right? But when I'm leading worship... There's something else that's on me while I'm doing it. So that phrase, what I'm, tr- I'm trying to find language to basically say that when I'm leading worship, I feel like God's grace is actually laboring on my behalf. It's not just me and my gift. The grace of God actually labors for me while I'm doing it. Okay, So that's what we're kind of getting at, this idea of being graced for something. Um. Uh, we all have unique gifts according to the grace given us, okay? So our gifts flow from our grace, not the other way around. Um, we can't actually pick what we're graced for. It's a, it's a process of discerning what it is and then aligning or positioning ourselves within our sphere of grace. Um, so um, Henry Nowen says, let's be patient and trust that the treasure we look for is hidden in the ground on which we stand, okay? So this conversation that we're having tonight, I'm not asking you to go on this great quest or journey to find your path. I'm saying that this question, what are you graced for? It's actually, it's actually a treasure that's hidden in the ground upon which you stand. You don't have to go looking for it, right? It's actually, it's actually where you are. It's, it's, it's probably really obvious to those around you, you know, hard to see in the mirror, but obvious to those around you, okay? So what you are graced for is, is hidden in the ground on which you stand. You, you might have to dig a little, but you don't have to go over there to find it, if that makes sense. Um, so, um, uh, we're going to jump into a, 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 a kind of the, the main text that I want to talk to you from is 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 12 to 18, okay? And I just want to give this passage a little bit of context before we dive into it. Um, uh, there was no place in which the Apostle Paul was met with more opposition from this group of people he called false apostles than in Corinth, Okay? Uh, false apostles is another way of saying leaders who are not graced by the Lord to lead or leaders who appoint themselves to the platform, okay? So they're not necessarily God-appointed or, or um, leadership-appointed. They're appointing themselves to some sort of platform. Um, these leaders bore Paul ill will. They envied him and they did all they could to undermine him 
and weaken his reputation in the Corinthian church. So chapters 1 to 9 in 2 Corinthians, Paul is actually addressing the Corinthian congregation. But the rest of the book, chapters 10 to 13, Paul shifts his focus, takes aim at these false apostles, okay? These um, self-appointed leaders who have forced themselves into the congregation. So we're going to pick it up here, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. I'm going to just kind of read through it. And then uh, I'll go back and just make some points, okay? It's pretty chunky. I'm reading from the New King James. It's like pretty meaty. There's lots of big words in there, right? So just track with me and and we'll try and kind of unpack it together. Paul says this. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves amongst themselves, are not wise, We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere that especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. Uh, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. So there's a couple of themes here. There's this idea of commendation, like people who commend themselves, compare themselves against themselves, yada, 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 are not wise. So, but then it finishes with, the person who commends themselves isn't approved, but he who or she who the Lord commands. So this idea of commendation is an important theme. Another important theme is this, this idea of a sphere. Paul says, we're not going to boast beyond measure, but within the limits of, this, of the sphere which God appointed us, right? So this idea of a sphere is a, a theme. Uh, this idea of God appointment is a theme, right? And uh, lastly, this idea of focus, right? Paul's basically saying... I'm not going to kind of overextend myself over here into someone else's sphere. I'm going to stay over here in my sphere, which is the sphere that God appointed me in. And I'm going to kind of stay focused here in what I'm doing here, if that makes sense. So let me unpack this a bit more and help you uh, understand a little bit about what Paul's trying to say. Firstly is this idea of God appointment. And he basically wants us to understand that we are God appointed, right? You are God appointed. Uh, Do you live your life... Uh, knowing that you are appointed by God to serve him. Understanding that your life is a God-given assignment and that you are God-appointed gives you an incredible amount of confidence. Uh, I know for myself that I am God-appointed to be an artisan and a worshiper that builds the church, right? So knowing this means that I don't need to be someone that I'm not uh, with something to prove. I can just be myself in Christ For myself in Christ is who God has called and appointed me to be. Okay? Um, So God appointment. You are God appointed. Um, It actually, probably before I move on from this point, I think it's important to say that there are different seasons in life. um, And some of us are in uh, seasons where there's 
um, kind of a lot of mundane and boring and all that kind of stuff too. So this idea that we're God appointed doesn't always mean that life's one big, crazy, exciting adventure, right? Sometimes it's boring and it's mundane and that's kind of the season that we're in. Um, so what I want to encourage you with is this idea of just love, like love God where you're at and be faithful with the little things that are right in front of you. It usually doesn't get more complicated than that. If you plant yourself in good, healthy soil, and let me tell you, this church is good, healthy soil, right? When you plant yourself in good, healthy soil, what you're part of transcends the part you play, right? So you don't always need to be the one to kind of go off and change the world and do these big, great things, right? Because what you're part of is already doing that, right? You just need to play your part. Uh, be faithful with the little things right in front of you. Play your part and love God where you're at. Okay? It doesn't really get much more complicated than that. Um, but then Paul kind of goes on. He's kind of saying, we're not going to boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us. So Paul confines his boasting to within the limits of the sphere which God appointed. Now, the literal Greek there says uh, within the... Uh, measure of the field God measured, okay? So within the limits of the sphere which uh, God appointed, the literal Greek says within the measure of the field God measured. Now, um, Paul worked and ministered within clearly defined boundaries. These other leaders did not, okay? Um, the, the, Paul kind of defines these boundaries as a sphere, right? Um, the, the Greek word sphere literally means field. Now, it's not like a paddock, like a field of grass and trees. What he's kind of saying there is uh, this, this Greek word field actually means force field, like a force field, like a full Star Trek kind of divine sphere of empowerment, right? So that's why Paul says sphere, like, uh, like God... Um, uh, uh, I'm not going to boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed me. So he's understanding that God appoints him to this sphere. And when he's in his sphere, when he's in this kind of force field, he's, the grace of God labors on his behalf. And he's divinely empowered and enabled to make a contribution. But when he's outside of that sphere, when he's outside of that force field, um, maybe his contribution and what he's trying to do doesn't have the same ease uh, or kind of supernatural ability um, attached to it, if that makes sense. Um, these boundaries were not of Paul's own making. They were boundaries that he and the leaders of the church agreed on at the time. So they recognized that Paul was graced to be a minister to the Gentiles, and Peter, James, and John uh, were graced to be apostles to the Jews, right? So basically, these Jewish Christian missionaries, these, these uh, apostles, had come to Corinth, which is a Gentile city, and they had overextended themselves into someone else's sphere, right? They, uh, they were not respecting the agreed-upon uh, evangelistic divisions of labor that the early church uh, had set up, right? Paul was to go to the Gentiles. These people were to go to the Jews. They had come in and were treating this Gentile city as a legitimate sphere of their ministry, right? And that's why they were regarded or considered as false apostles. They were outside their grace, basically. They were operating outside their sphere. Um, so um, uh, how do you know what your sphere is? 
right? So I'm kind of saying this idea of you got appointed and there's, you have this sphere, you have this grace zone, and I'm kind of encouraging you to stay in your grace zone. But how do you work out what it is? Um, the encouragement here is uh, found in the first uh, verse. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measure in themselves by themselves and compare themselves amongst themselves are not wise, right? So what Paul's trying to say is this is not something you can do, you can figure out by looking in the mirror. It's really hard to work out what you're graced for uh, just on your own. My encouragement to you is listen to the commendation of others, right? Listen, you've got friends, you've got people that love you, people who are close to you. Ask them, what do you think that I'm graced for? Like, when, you, when I'm doing something that, you know, what's that thing when I'm doing that you go, God's on that? You know, God's on that, but not necessarily on that. Like, like ask your friends, ask your family, listen to the commendation of others. Um, people often see your grace better than you do. Paul also gives another clue. He says, um, uh, we're not going to boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere that especially includes you. So when you're uh, living in, in the grace that God has for you, uh, it actually includes others. It doesn't repel people. It doesn't isolate you. And people are drawn into what you're doing. Okay, people are drawn into your world. They they wanna they wanna play a part. They wanna be involved, right? So the fruit or evidence that you're operating in your grace zone is that it includes others. People are drawn in to what you're doing. Um, there is something attractive about someone in their grace. They're not striving. They're not trying too hard. Um, if you wanna see people drawn into your world, begin to live within your God-given sphere of grace. Um, the worship leaders that you, uh, I've been a worship pastor and I'm a worship leader now um, uh, in our church. And the worship leaders you see on our platform are up there leading worship, not just because they can sing, but lots of people have acknowledged that they are actually graced to lead, okay? They are graced to lead worship. It wasn't just them thinking that God was calling them to do that particular thing, but lots of people have kind of seen something on their life and kind of affirmed it, right? So as you listen to the commendation of others, your grace zone starts to become clear. Lastly, as we kind of land this, um, Paul says... Um, we're not going to boast beyond measure within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us. We're not going to overextend ourselves, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. So what's Paul saying? He's basically saying focus. Don't, don't overextend yourself into someone else's sphere, someone else's grace zone. Stay in your grace and focus. Um, I would put it this way. Sacrifice the good... So you've got margin for the great, right? Sacrifice the good so you've got margin for the great. There's this story, um, a father and son were walking along the beach and the son was kind of collecting shells as they walked. And, um, and uh, they kind of saw over yonder just in the, in the shallows of the water a starfish, a beautiful kind of orange starfish. And the son got really excited. He's like, Dad, Dad, can I go and kind of get the starfish. And Dad's like, sure, go get the starfish. So the son kind of runs to the water's edge, stops, turns around, runs back. Dad's like, what are you doing? Go get the starfish. So he kind of runs a little bit further um, into the water about here, stops, turns around, runs back. Dad's like, what are you doing? Go get the starfish. So the kid runs all the way up to the starfish. It's just right there. He looks down. 
uh, stops, turns around and kind of runs back. And dad's like, what are you doing? Just pick it up. And the kid's like exasperated. He's like, oh, dad, I can't. My hands are full of shells. My hands are full of shells. And how often does that kind of represent the way that we live our lives? We go along kind of collecting shells. We, we get involved in so many good things, different activities. Uh, we uh, fill our lives with shells, with good things. But what that means is we don't actually have the margin, uh, the resources, the energy, the time, the attention for the starfish, for, for the great thing when opportunity knocks. Um, so when I say sacrifice the good so that you have margin for the great, I'm kind of saying you might need to uh, say no to some shells in order to say yes to the starfish. And to be honest, it's one of the most challenging things is to discern between good and great or good and best. Like it's easy for us to know between good and bad, right? If that's a good path, that's a bad path. But say you've got this path, this path, this path, and this path in front of you, or this activity, this activity, this activity, and this activity that you're all involved in, right? And they're all good, and they're all kingdom, and they all bless people, and they all serve people, right? But you're just, you're just jammed, you're maxed out, right? So how do you know what to stop doing? How do you know what to focus on when everything that you're doing is good? Um, and so it takes an incredible amount of wisdom to discern between good and best. That's the, hard, that's the hard bit, right? And it takes an incredible amount of courage to wait for the best when good is on offer right now. It takes an incredible amount of courage to not fill your hands with shells knowing that further along down the beach there's going to be a starfish and you need space in your hands to pick it up. So wisdom and courage. Wisdom to know the difference between good and best and courage to wait for God's best for your life. Um, I think we should kind of land this. Um, I'm going to um, play a song now. Um, It's a hymn. It's called Be Thou My Vision. And... uh, And I think it's really appropriate at this point to kind of end uh, with this, declaring that that he is our vision. Um, Oswald Chambers says this. He says, over and over again, God has to remove our dreams, our plans, and our visions to put himself in their place. God has to remove our plans, our dreams, and our visions to put himself in their place. Uh, And so tonight, as as I've got you thinking about your path, I've got you thinking about your activity, I've got you thinking about what you might be graced for, where you might be graced to do it, I think there's no better place to begin than by looking to him and saying, you are my vision. You are my vision, and anything else that I do is going to flow out of that. Amen?